I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Touch 'Em All podcast. Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. We're here to talk about the Red Hot Twins, Phil. I guess I buried them a little early. They've now won five in a row at the time of this recording and look destined to sweep their way to the World Series. Uh, yeah, I was looking at the schedule. I don't see another loss, at least before the All-Star break. <laughs> Right. But they uh, they are going to lament the first game of the White Sox series where they blew uh like what was a five-run lead or whatever. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, so they they should be in good shape unless they need that one game against the White Sox later on for like home field advantage throughout the American League playoffs. Yes. Right. 5 in a row could be 6. Luckily when the American League wins the All-Star game, they will get World Series home field advantage. But one of the things I wanted to talk to you today about Phil is I mean, I think we can skip the criticism of me. I'm getting buried on social media for writing this team off, um, and we'll see how that plays out. If you want to take your cheap shots, that's fine, but I do want to talk about a column that I wrote. uh, Let's see. When did I publish this? I wrote it 10 days ago talking about the ways that the Twins could kind of fix things, and, and three out of five of my suggestions were seen as hot takes at the time, and the Twins have responded to those, if you don't mind jumping into that column. Well, the only thing I want to ask you about yes. uh, your, oh, here your, we go. your burial of the Twins. So you've been, in the three years we've been doing this podcast, and in the, what, five years since we've been working together at 1500 ESPN, you've, been, you've gone out of your way to be reasonable take guy, to be, mm-hmm. like not, to be non-hot take artist. And I'm wondering, what made you turn the temperature up on your Twins are cooked for the season take as opposed to like any other stance over the past five years. First of all, it's hilarious that immediately they go on. A, it doesn't mean that you're wrong. It's just hilarious that they went on a five-game winning streak right. like the, the <laughs> day that you declared them dead. And now there's like a Minnesota Supreme Court justice chirping me every day on Twitter about their uh, winning streak, which is another hilarious offshoot of this. I guess, let me ask you, do you want me to, like, like how deep do you want me to dive into my reasoning? Because I can, I can, we could talk about, like, the inside baseball reasons why I have that take, if you really want to get into it. Well, let's, okay, well, let me, well, let me ask you this, and then you can go wherever you want with this. Is your opinion about the Twins' chances to play in October different now that they've won five games in a row? Are you, like, on the roller coaster or are you still 100% sure that they're a non-playoff team? No, no. Neither of those is correct. I'm not on the roller coaster. I don't ride roller coasters. They scare me. But I'm also not 100% sure. I mean, when I wrote the column, obviously I wasn't 100% sure. Um, that You're right. That's one of the things that has marked my tenure as the web editor at 1500 ESPN is like, never have I ever had a hot take and this is probably one of the spicier ones. A, a couple things that played into it. Uh, I, I will say that Fernando Romero looking awesome in two starts makes me sweat a tiny little bit. Because if he's great, then this changes the entire math. But uh, one thing was I was talking with your co-host, Judd Zolgad, at Target Field on, I think it was the Friday 
before they left town and and he's just like, man, this is kind of disappointing that uh, twin season has sort of gotten off to a bad start. And I said, oh, I totally hear what you mean. They're cooked. And he kind of did a double take. He spit out his coffee and he looked at me and he said, what did you just say? <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, I mean, like, I mean, mathematically, like, it just it doesn't look very good for him. Like, uh, the optics are bad, of course, with Sano going to the DL and Byron Buxton being out and Phil Hughes looking eminently hittable but like just the math itself is playing against them now he said but but hold on hold on what did you just say it's it's only been one month did you just write them off and i said yeah i mean i think they're pretty much dead in the water he says you have to say that on my show on monday you have to say that on my show on monday he baited you into a hot take wow he baited you into a hot take a little but i do still feel and i tried to explain this on your show a little bit this week phil but i I'm looking at a number of things. It's not just that they're missing some of their best and most important players or that they got off to a hot start. Because, look, at the time of this recording, they're only one game back of the Cleveland Indians after winning five in a row. And who knows, if the Indians lose tonight, the Twins could be a half game out of first place in the American League Central. So people justifiably are hopping in my mentions. They're adding me for terrible take on the Twins. Um, I'm being cooked. But I was... I was looking at a combination of the way they started and of what I thought of both of those teams before the season started. I thought the Indians are vastly superior. They will right this ship. The Indians will win this division. I still feel confident about that. And I'm looking at the rest of the wild card race and saying like, whoa, there are some very good teams here. The Twins are hoping to win the second wild card after whichever American League East team does not win the division. And you're playing against some really great teams like the Angels. I think the Mariners are pretty good. The Blue Jays have been great this season. So I was looking at a combination of all those things, saying the Twins would have had a tough road without a bad start. And then a bad start, I think, more or less buried them. And I'm still, I still feel fairly good about that hashtag take. Yeah, and, like, I mean, let's face it, there's still, what, two games under 500 as of the recording of this podcast, even after yes. a five-game win streak. So yes. they're not exactly in prime position. And if the Indians had gotten off to the same start that the Angels or the Astros had gotten off to, then we, I think the optimism about them getting on, on track here uh, would be... Much, much, much less enthused. Uh, I will say Fernando Romero is the type of pitcher. If if this is indeed, I don't. I mean, obviously he's going to give up a run at some point. But if they've added this type of bright young arm and he's going to be a viable playoff rotation caliber pitcher, that's a huge game changer. Yeah. And you never know what. Sometimes when these guys come up, you know, Jose Barrios comes up. And he has immediately the best stuff on the team, what, almost two years ago now. But he's a deer in the headlights and can't throw a strike, walks everybody, and has no command. All of a sudden, he starts facing major league pitchers and loses command of everything that uh, that he dominated with in the minor leagues. Fernando Romero, and if you watch the Fox Sports North broadcast after or during his start against the Cardinals, Torrey Hunter was pointing out this is the same demeanor that people saw double-A Chattanooga. It's as if he just transported to the big leagues and is still facing double-A hitters in his mind. And that's just something, you, sometimes you just don't know. When someone comes up, it it might take them three or four years as a young player before they get fully comfortable against 
the best pitchers and hitters in the world. And the bonus here for the Twins is not only does Fernando Romero maybe have top three, top five stuff of any Twins pitcher in franchise history, which is not hyperbole, among starting pitchers, he might have, he has like Francisco Liriano, Johan Santana, sort of caliber stuff. Uh, But if you can couple that with a poise at age 23 that a lot of guys don't have their first time through major league lineups, you've expedited the learning curve by maybe two or three years. And I want to give it more than two starts before I say, oh man, this is what the Twins are getting and there's no looking back. But um, it changes the outlook of the season if all of a sudden that guy's in your rotation for 30 starts. Yep. For sure. I mean, stuff-wise, I'm still taking Johan. I'm still taking Liriano. But point well taken that you don't see gas like this, plus a slider, which is a swing and a miss pitch, plus the changeup, which it's not all the way there, but it's it's a there's definitely something there with his changeup. Uh, yeah, if there's anything that's making me nervous, it's not a five-game win streak. It's the fact that now 40% of the time, Twins games are going to be started by either J.O. Barreos or Fernando Romero. And uh, that makes me a little bit nervous for my take. So are you just going to be rooting against the Twins for the next no. four and a half months now? Is that what's going to no. happen? Because you're We've rooting about, to be right? <laughs> We've talked about this. I do root to be right, but like, <laughs> I mean, I knew what I was getting myself into when I when I penned that column, when I went on your guys' show and... And now I'm the guy who wrote them off, and it's going to happen every time the Twins win. Someone's going to say, see, I told you so. And it's like, it's not fun to be the unpopular take guy, but I just, it's it's how I felt. And I, um, oh, what was I going to say about Romero? Oh, I realized today, Phil, I was actually rooting for the Twins at one point today. And that is, uh, that is not something that you see in an analyst covering the team very often, unless it's like, you know, a team employee or or a local broadcast who covers the team and is in partnerships with them. I was rooting for the Twins because I hate seeing bad baseball. I hate seeing sloppy baseball. And over the past five games, the Twins have actually played pretty cleanly, both pitching and defense, for the most part. And the Cardinals made a sloppy, stupid error today. And when that happens, they uh, they just kind of fumbled the ball in left field. I believe it was Marcelo Zuna. And a run comes around to score to make it 2-1. And I'm like, all right, step on their throats. Make that error matter. I hate watching bad, sloppy baseball. And I like seeing it affect the outcome of the game. If you if you make mistakes, you deserve to lose the game. That's my uh, crotchety old baseball take opinion. Well, if you turn out to be wrong, if the Twins wind up making the playoffs, I mean... Either way, they're, they're sort of back in it now that they've won five games in a row. They're at least back to being around 500. But if you're yeah. wrong, it's a, it's, a, it's a badge to put on your chest, and <laughs> it's, it's an honor bestowed. Hey. I remember, like six years ago, actually this would have been seven years ago now, my second year on the Twins beat, this is after they got swept by the Yankees in 2010, entering the 2011 season, and I sat at the airport coming back from seven weeks of spring training. I watched that team every day for seven weeks in spring training, going into the 2011-99 loss season and said, the regular season is a formality. Let's fast forward to Yankees-Twins in the playoffs again yes, and see if yes. the Twins did enough in the offseason to get to the World Series. Wow. Uh, so it's like you sometimes you have to be epically wrong in order to really feel fulfilled covering baseball. Right. Yes, I think uh, 
So there's two things. This harkens the Phil Mackey hashtag it's happening, but it also harkens when Paul Hoinsey at the uh, Cleveland Plain Dealer said after who got hurt? Was it Salazar that got hurt? And he said, the Indians can't make the World Series. If they do, I'm jumping in Lake Erie. And then he had to jump in Lake Erie when the Indians made the World Series. Yeah, this feels a little bit like that. But if it does happen, Phil, and they make the postseason, either winning the American League Central over those Indians or the wild card, I just want credit for having lit the fire. Uh, let's 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 take a quick break because we have a lot more to dive into here on this episode of Touch 'Em All. But uh, first, a quick word for one of our loyal sponsors here, Luther Brookdale Toyota, which is on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard. And uh, I've been told by the powers that be, this is an outstanding deal. If you're in the Twin Cities and you're looking for something more spacious, in fact, if you're looking for, quite frankly, one of the best, most durable SUVs in the world right now, the 2018 RAV4, you can get into a lease for just $259 a month. Uh, That's an incredible deal. It's spaciousness. It handles more like a car, more like a Camry Corolla, but obviously you can pack the kids in, all the sports equipment, all the bags up to the cabins for the winter. Uh, So go in, talk to my friends in that showroom area. Badu will show you all the new technology on the interior. Uh, Tony and Paula, people that my family and I have been working with for 30-plus years. Luther, Brookdale, Toyota, 694, and Brooklyn Boulevard in the Twin Cities. All right, Phil, so I have a list of five challenges that I made to the Twins like 10 or 11 days ago or something like that. We, we've got to go through those in a second. And then before we do that, I actually want to get to the Byron Buxton pending return because reports out of St. Louis with the media that's traveling with the team say that it's pretty likely going to happen here. In fact, by the time some of you are listening to this, Byron Buxton might have already been activated from the disabled list with his broken toe um, what do you think, Phil, about the possibility that he'll just skip a rehab assignment? And for a guy who's already in the past shown some contact problems at the plate, to just throw him back in against major league pitching without any kind of uh, minor league rehab stint first? Man, well, I think I think even if he struggles to if if, if he struggles at the plate like he did the first month. I still think he adds value, and and the the numbers on this aren't going to be they shouldn't be taken as gospel. But really, Robbie Grossman has been the one that has replaced Byron Buxton in the outfield because he's you know he's the one that's been playing in right field with Max Kepler moving to center field for about twenty games now, and the difference between Byron Buxton in the outfield defensively alone compared to Robbie Grossman, if you trust defensive runs saved even a little bit or ultimate zone rating even a little bit. Over the course of a full season, we're talking about around a 30-run difference between those two guys in the outfield. And you've seen two or three plays that have happened in close games in right field where Grossman will go back on a ball. Or even, like, there there was a play, and the Twins absolutely throttled the Cardinals in that day game here uh, on Tuesday. But there was a ball that dropped in front of Max Kepler in center field that led to... At least a rally, I don't know. They only had like two hits in the game. But it was a play that Byron Buxton catches in his back pocket. And even Max Kepler, who's a pretty decent outfielder, couldn't catch up to it as a center fielder. And those type of plays may not all lead directly to runs. But over the course of a season, they cost you games. So I think just putting him back in center field and then moving Max Kepler back to right field, there's a ton of value defensively alone. As for his bat, he's another guy where if he hits the way he did in the second half of the season... And he's giving you gold glove, world-class center field defense. He's worth several extra wins 
for the mm-hmm. Twins. I mean, you and I talked about this going into the season. If he performs at the plate for a full season, which now we're already a month in, so that ship has sailed, the way that he did after the All-Star break last year, we're talking about a borderline MVP candidate and a guy who could be a six or seven wins above replacement player, if not even more, depending yeah. on how good he is with the bat. Uh, so what helps him get to that level quickest? I don't think putting him right back in the lineup is going to spark anything offensively. I think he needs to see some pitching. But I understand the urgency with their slow start to put their best defender back in center field. So I wouldn't be totally offended by it. For sure, yep. I feel pretty much the same way. I'd probably bat him ninth, if anything, and just see. I'm, I'm also, frankly, pretty curious to see if a hairline fracture in your toe, which cannot be healed by now. There's like... I'm not a doctor, but I don't see any way that that thing's just gone, gone. I'm curious to see, is it a pain tolerance thing? Does this flare up at some point? I hate to have to be on high alert for one of your best and most important players for the rest of the season, but that's, that's kind of what this injury feels like to me. Not only the migraines spell, but also then, uh, you know, having a fracture in your toe on a player whose game is based almost entirely on speed like that yeah. that's just bad news for the twins but if he can return and if he can be sort of that superstar player then that will be a huge lift not only to their real runs and wins and all that but i think also just the collective spirit in the clubhouse too not to um, buzzkill twins fans but i yes. broke my big left toe when i was in high school playing basketball on an outdoor court with uh, flip-flop sandals, and I jam my toe into a boulder, and it's st- and my toe still clicks and is sore to this day, like 15 or whatever, <laughs> 17 years later. So, uh, I mean, not that like my idiot injury playing basketball in high school is anywhere near what happened to Byron Buxton, but or like, I, I, you know, I didn't have, I just sort of like dealt with it. There's nothing you can do really with a broken toe other than stop walking on it and sure that's not really in the cards for Buxton so he it's yeah. I think it's going to be a pain tolerance thing and it might even be something that that pops up intermittently throughout the rest of his career I, it's I don't think it's something that'll prevent him from playing baseball mm. but it's definitely something that he'll he'll have to be mindful of going forward yeah well I had uh this is much less scientific than the anecdote that you brought to the plate but since we're trading anecdotes I had a uh follower on my baseball Facebook page say that he had a hairline fracture in his thumb or around his thumb a couple years back, and it was just, like, painful, a surprising amount of pain, I think, is the way he characterized it. And then he'd try to use it, like, the next day and rest it for a day and then use it again, and, nope, pain flared up. So finally, I think they just casted it or somehow immobilized it, and two weeks, good as new, no problems whatsoever. So maybe every injury is a little bit different, but I'd I'd speculate it also matters where the injury is and how much of your body weight that has to bear. Luckily for Buxton, I think uh, at last count there's only about 35 pounds of body weight that he carries around on his slender and muscular frame. So there's not... uh, there's not as much pressure on that one as if, like, Miguel Sano had a hairline fracture in his big toe. Yeah, and and much like the roadrunner, his feet don't actually touch the ground when he runs. Right. They just, like, <laughs> rotate in a cycling motion, so, yes. so he should yes. be fine. If they are trying to pioneer hovercrafts in the 21st century, they shouldn't look to, like, magnets or wind power. They should just watch Byron Buxton run around the bases and try to model that. <laughs> exactly. Hey, so I wrote this column, and then I've got a stat of the week for you, too, um, to close out the podcast. But these five things were things I basically I was sick of seeing, 
and we were, we we're fairly early on in the twin season. I don't think it was even a month old, but I said, you got to change these five things if you want to have any hope. And uh, some of them were hot takes, some of them not so much. I'll just, I, th- I guess we can rapid fire them. Uh, your thoughts on where these things currently stand, uh, challenges that I made about two weeks ago for the Twins. The first was, after two starts, pull Phil Hughes, and I said replace him with either Aaron Slaggers or Fernando Romero and do it right now. Uh, you kind of talked about your feelings of Romero so far, so I guess I'll phrase the question this way. You see it as likely that he's in the rotation from here on out like the rest of the season? Uh, I'm going to answer that two ways. I... I, I'd like to think that he's sort of figured out how to be calm enough on the mound and how to command his stuff enough to stay in the rotation. Again, I don't think he's going to be this dominant where he's giving up goose eggs on a regular basis. But I think sure. Fernando Romero is in. And then there's another question when Irvin Santana is ready sometime maybe in June, You know, whose spot is in jeopardy if they stay with a five-man rotation. I guess they could go with a six-man rotation if they wanted to, but... Nah. Uh, Bar- Bar- Barrios isn't coming out. I don't think Fernando Romero is coming out at this point. Jacob Arizzi has been fine. Kyle Gibson might have might be their best starting pitcher through the first five weeks of the season. Uh, so that kind of leaves one spot for Lance Lynn and Irvin Santana. On the Phil Hughes part, I know he's still part of the bullpen. This regime has no ties to that contract extension. I know he's making $13 million this year and another $13.5 million next year, but I just don't see it. I mean, I, and there and there there should be no obligation to compound one mistake with another. One mistake being the contract extension that Terry Ryan gave out. Uh, I mean, there's no obligation to keep him around if you plan to be competitive. You don't think he can get anybody out. I think the last ditch effort here for Phil Hughes is to just let him cut loose as much as he can in the bullpen. Maybe he comes out in one inning bursts, and if he can throw even a couple miles per hour more on that fastball and throw two different pitches. Maybe he gets some outs as a sixth or seventh inning guy, but I wouldn't bother tinkering with him in the starting rotation anymore. Plus, Steven Gonsalves is closer to being a viable rotation candidate than Phil Hughes at this point to me. So um, so they definitely, they're staring at a logjam at some point if all of the pieces involved right now pitch well and if Irvin Santana comes back, and that's a problem they don't usually have in the post-Johan Santana era. Yeah, don't forget about Trevor May, too. I keep trying to remind people that this guy put up some pretty interesting numbers before he got hurt in 2016. So I'm I'm expecting he'll be back June 1st, and then the Twins will have to figure out what to do there as well. Yeah. Um, so that was hot take number one was pull Phil Hughes. It turns out that it wasn't that hot because they did that. They didn't have to see another start. They pulled the plug, put him in the bullpen, and uh, went with Romero. We've seen how that's turned out so far. My second hot take, and I got lit up like a Christmas tree for this one, I said stick with Fernando Rodney at closer. And my reasoning was twofold. It's it's kind of worked out, but like that Rodney has bounced back from a bad April before, and just as recently as last year in Arizona. And secondly, I thought that it allowed them to use their, frankly, better relievers. Addison Reed comes to mind in higher leverage roles earlier in the game. And we saw that as, as recently as two games ago when uh, Addison Reed came in and faced, I think it was in the White Sox series, he faced 3-4-5 in their batting order, starting with Jose Abreu. And then Fernando Rodney got to come in in the ninth inning, clean situation, couple run lead, and just pitch to the bottom of the order and get out of it. So I'm I'm kind of fine with Fernando Rodney as the ninth inning guy, and then mix and match the rest of the pieces the rest of the way. 
I would I would characterize it this way. If you were happy with the Fernando Rodney signing, or if you thought that it was a shrewd move to bring in a guy for $6 million and, uh, and put him in the ninth inning, and yeah, this guy's got a track record. If you were okay with the signing, you can't be out after April. Like, yes. then, then you don't know who Fernando Rodney is. This is right. a guy who gave up right. 15 runs last April and then went scoreless between May 1st and July 1st. So he's... This is who he is. He's gonna. It's he's he's not in this elite, untouchable closer, which he has been at different points in his career. You knew exactly what you were signing up for. You were signing up for at least a handful of epically blown saves, and probably a month, maybe even another month later in the season, where he just gets tattooed. But he's also yes. capable of going fifteen straight appearances without allowing anything uh, in the run department. So I, I, you know, I'm, I'm with you. You don't sign him and then bail in the middle of his fourth week, knowing what happened last year. You just have right. to be patient with the guy. Yeah, and uh, that's no fun, obviously, especially with the way things went in April. I'll skip over the third challenge because it was about just moving some relievers around. Like I think they probably had to reduce their trust in Trevor Hildenberger for the time being and put Ryan Presley in some bigger spots with how well he's pitched. Uh, just one quick note, I guess, on that thread is that Tory Hunter compared him on the Fox Sports North broadcast to Wade Davis. Now, I don't Wait, think Ryan, Ryan Presley, Presley. Wow. Yes, I don't think Ryan Presley is prime Wade Davis. But happy to announce to you, Phil Mackey, live on this podcast, that Tory Hunter is a card-carrying member of the Ryan Presley fan club, just as well. Welcome, welcome, yes, Tory yes. Hunter. Yeah, the yes. uh, bus was feeling awfully empty for a little while there. Um, the, uh, the One of the other challenges that uh, gives us two talkers is that I, I said, hey, we have patience for Fernando Rodney, also have patience for Logan Morrison with his slow start, and he's been blistering hot lately. What did you think about Paul Molitor's decision to bat Morrison leadoff Tuesday <laughs> against the Cardinals? Man, that is, uh, I think... If you're wondering whether the Twins have gotten away from the way things have always been done, Logan Morrison batting leadoff is definitely Exhibit A. Not only are the Twins top 10 in strikeout rate as a pitching staff, which goes against everything in the post-Johan Santana era, but they're batting guys like Logan Morrison leadoff. Joe Maurer, who, who did bat leadoff a few times in the Terry Ryan era too. Joe Maurer's been batting leadoff. So I understand the logic in that you had a right-handed, tough starting pitcher on the mound, Carlos Martinez, and you wanted to make sure that you had a tough lefty at the top of your order to maximize. But if and and Logan Morrison's he has like a 900 OPS in his last 20 games. He's actually started to figure it out at the plate. But you could also have put Eduardo Escobar or Eddie Rosario in that spot as a left-handed hitter too, and they might have a chance to run around the bases a little bit more in front of Brian Dozier. I mean, I'm not I'm not criticizing the move. I'm just saying, like, if Joe Maurer was going to sit and your objective was to put a good hitter in front of Brian Dozier, Eddie Rosario might have been the better option. Uh, but maybe they wanted to save him for a few batters later in case there were men on base in front of him. I don't know. It was, it was definitely interesting. I think my biggest takeaway is that the Twins are thinking of unique ways to maximize their uh, their run scoring and just maximize their results, and I'm fine with that. And in general, yeah. I trust Thad Levine and Paul Molitor and Derek Falvey. They haven't been perfect in their decision making, but I'm still in the in the trust mode with those three guys. Yep, I agree. They have uh, not carte blanche, but certainly have earned the benefit of the doubt. I think that it's interesting that Morrison batted first. Like 
I guess we've seen Chris Davis bat leadoff in Baltimore, which is kind of unusual. But to me, it signaled I, I like the move putting Joe Maurer first and Brian Dozier second. I think Dozier hits a lot of solo home runs, and I think it's really just been Dozier's want to be at the top of the lineup that's that's really has kept him there. He's more of a it's it's a compliment to be the number two hitter, frankly. I mean a lot of good teams are using their best hitter in the second spot in the order. And so I like Maurer one, Dozier two. And to me, on a day that Maurer sits and Dozier's still not batting leadoff, to me, I think that's a sign of things to come. I think this might be more of a permanent lineup change than we originally thought a few games ago, which is to say Joe Maurer and his, you know, 1,000 on base percentage will continue to bat leadoff for the foreseeable future while Brian Dozier and all of the power, even though he endured a slump, all of that power that Dozier brings will uh, slide down in the lineup, maybe just hit second there behind the on-base threat. I, I like that personally. I think that's the smart way to build your lineup. Also, don't you get kind of annoyed when managers or players go with the, well, he's just comfortable in this spot in the order? I mean, I, I'm not I'm not doubting that there's different spots in the order that maybe you're comfortable in, but if you're a professional hitter, maybe you should just get over that a little bit and find a way to get comfortable in a spot that's most productive yes. to the team. Are you if, like, telling me when you get into a 3-1 count and you're sitting fastball inside just to pull it over the left field seats, you're sitting there thinking to yourself, okay, he's probably coming with a fastball. My swing's geared to it. I felt pretty good in batting practice today. I know I can take him deep to left field if I get the pitch that I want. Ah, but I'm hitting fifth today. Ugh, I'm used to I'm hitting just third. Less, just less comfortable right now. Yeah. <laughs> or <laughs> like, in, does in, that Ron, even creep Ron, into your mind? Ron Gardenhire used to have a lot of guardianisms like this too. Like in the field, uh, when when the Twins had Ben Revere and Denard Span on the roster at the same time, and Denard Span, who had a proven track record as a right fielder for two years, while Carlos Gomez played center field. And Ben Revere was new to the big leagues with a noodle arm, one of the worst outfield arms I've ever seen before. But because Denard had some concussion issues and vertigo, Gardenhire just didn't want to disrupt him. So we're going to keep him in center field where he's comfortable right now and put the worst arm in baseball in right field in Ben Revere. It's like, well, that hurts the team. And mm. and other people on the team notice that, and they're talking amongst themselves. So not I'm not saying that there's like, infighting about the Twins lineup, but if Brian Dozier batting second is the best thing for scoring the most runs, then I would just say if there's an issue with comfort, you're just going to have to be a pro and figure it out. Sure, yeah, and somebody asked me, a mutual friend of ours, Phil, asked me today, is this like when uh, when Gardenhire would bat Mike Redmond third because he was filling in for Joe Maurer who batted third, and then so just to keep the rest of the order moving along, he put one of the worst hitters on the team batting third I said this is not quite like that this isn't well Logan Morrison's playing first base for Joe Maurer so he better bat leadoff I I mean I think you could draw some more reasonable uh you could make a more reasonable justification for Morrison batting first even though it obviously it raised a few eyebrows so it's it's not quite the same but yes it Definitely cast back some memories of uh, 10, 15 years ago. Yes, for um, sure. I do, Phil, I've got uh, stat of the week for you here in a second. I'll just breeze past my fifth point. The fifth point was, hey, you got to clean up the fielding. The Twins were making a debauchery of 
fielding the baseball for a number of weeks. They gave away a lot of those games. Yes, there was some bad luck, and yes, the offense slumped a little bit. The new pitchers, eh, questionable, and they've given some walk-offs. But the Twins absolutely deserved to lose some of those games with how badly they played defensively. Uh, and I was just like kind of tired of seeing it, and so I included it in the column. And to their credit, they've been much better in that department, even with Robbie Grossman out in the corner outfield. So, anyways, there's not a whole lot more to say there. But uh, my stat of the week involves your new favorite Twins pitcher, Fernando Romero. Fernando. And, uh, say his name like you mean it, Fer- Derek. Fernando. Fernando. Fernando Mania in the Twin Cities this summer. Um and I, I know you are a dedicated and loyal reader of the Five Thoughts column. You are a subscriber to the Derek Wetmore Baseball Insiders newsletter. So, like, this will not come as a shock to you. But I just want to put your memory to the test here. I wrote up after his debut, Fernando Romero threw a fastball clocked at 98.4 miles per hour. Maybe that doesn't sound too meaningful, but... Since Baseball Savant has uh, reliable tracking data going back to 2008, how many twin starters, including Fernando Romero, have thrown a fastball 98 miles per hour or greater? And as a bonus, can you name those wow. pitchers? Stat of the week. Oh, man. Um, I th- 98 miles an hour. I did post-surgery Francisco Liriano ever get there? I'm going to say... Yes, he did. All right, so post-surgery Frankie did it. Fernando did it. I'm going to say... I'm trying to think if there's another one. Um, I'm going to say Barrio. I'm going to say three. Barrios. All right, three is close. It's four, but Barrios never got there. According to Baseball Savant, there are four pitchers now, including Fernando Romero, who's... Fastball is legit. Like, I don't bring up this list to say, oh, be careful, like, don't put all your eggs in the Fernando basket. I bring up this list just to say, wow, look at how rare that is for a Twins pitcher over the past decade to bring a 98-mile-an-hour heater into a start. Um, you mentioned Liriano. You obviously, you got Romero. I think I kind of gave you that one. And the two beyond that, Alex Meyer... Yeah, who okay. bounced back and forth from the bullpen and the rotation, and he hit ninety eight. He's, I didn't, he's I didn't know that. I didn't know they were counting pitches that went straight to the backstop. So, in fairness, like I thought, the ball had to hit the catcher's glove on the ninety eight. That's why. they all count. Everything on the radar gun registers. Uh, the last one, you'll be kicking yourself for not getting this. A guy the Twins carried along in their bullpen, and you were quite frustrated with for a. For a number of years, really. I'm not sure you've even gotten oh, over it J- now J- as we J. speak. J.R. Graham. J.R. Graham. J.R. Right? Graham. Rule <laughs> right. 5 pick J.R. Graham made a spot start and hit 98 on the gun. So there you have it. Four guys now, including <laughs> your guy, Fernando Romero, and your old guy, J.R. Graham. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good stat of the week. And uh, and in fairness, like J.R. Graham came in and just cut it loose for like two and a third or something, right? And that was the last we... Remember I think, I think you made one promising start at PNC Park that I remember watching at a bar in downtown Minneapolis and thinking, oh, do the Twins have something here? And then uh, found out fairly shortly thereafter that yeah. nope. Hey, real quick before we wrap this thing up, uh, we I, I know that I think a lot of people who listen to the Touch em All podcast are probably aware of some of the other content we have on the 1500 ESPN podcast network, but a quick shout-out to specifically to The Scoop with Doogie. 
The Scoop Podcast is one of the best ones on our network. Doogie has all kinds of great inside information, not only on the Twins, but on all the other local teams. He's got a lot of Wolves steam lately and big-time headliner interviews with uh, general managers, with owners, and you name it. So if you haven't already checked it out or subscribed, uh, a shout-out to Doogie's Scoop Podcast, which you can find on 1500ESPN.com or anywhere you would generally download podcasts. Yep, and if I can make one shameless plug before we say goodbye, I'm going to do another Facebook show this week. I try to do them every Friday, Friday afternoon, like around lunchtime, um, either on the 1500 ESPN Facebook page or on my personal Facebook page, Derek Wetmore MLB. You can stop by. You can have your questions ready. You can just crush me for writing off the Twins one month into the season way, way, way too prematurely. So we had a lot of fun last week. We set a record for number of viewers, and hopefully that just keeps going up as the Twins keep playing better baseball. So hopefully you can join us this week on Facebook on Friday. I can't wait for you to see the movie Major League. You'll know that the inspiration for the Indians in cardboard cutout form is going to be you in the clubhouse this year (laughs) in September. Uh, Oh, boy. Hashtag lit the fire. Call of Duty Modern Warfare is here, and so is Mountain Dew. Roger that. Now you can unlock in-game rewards like only Dew can. Wait. What rewards? A Dew Operator Skin. Man, I love Operator Skins. Dual double XP, and even Call of Duty points. You're kidding me. Double XP and Call of Duty points? This is incredible. I can't believe it. Soldier, get a hold of yourself. Oh, roger that. Look for specially marked packaging and visit mtndugaming.com for details and restrictions. Open to U.S. residents 17 plus. Call of Duty points available on 12 and 24 packs and free 20 23.